Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we are real people talking about real things, child abuse and neglect, a topic that is all too often left in the shadows of silence, leaving survivors alone, fearful, and oftentimes without a voice. We're having conversations to become louder than silence. It is here where we will invite you to join us and be the change needed to end child abuse and neglect. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining in. My name is Lori Poland, and I am the executive director of the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect. This is our first podcast, and I am actually going to be starting out our podcast series with telling you how I got into the seat that I'm in and where I'm at today. So my story is just one single story among millions and millions of stories, and many of you out there um, can either relate, have something to understand and engage with, and I completely get that. So I invite you to be the change, be louder than silence, and join us in uniting our voices uh, so that collectively we can all work together to end this uh, pretty atrocious issue. So my story um, started in 1983 when I was a little girl playing in my front yard, and um, my dad was home with us for his, he took the day off of work uh, to paint our house, and my brother and I had suckered him into giving us a second popsicle after my mom went back to work uh, after lunch, her lunch break. And while he was inside getting us a popsicle, this car just drove around the corner um, and the passenger door was open and he uh, leaned over and and asked if I liked candy. And like any sugar-loving three-year-old, I eagerly said yes. And he told me that if I went with him, he would give me candy. So I quickly hopped on that opportunity and jumped in the car with them. And, um, before I knew it, we were gone. And before my dad, before my brother, before anybody knew it, right in the middle of the day at 1235 in the afternoon, I was abducted from my front yard. My kidnapper took me to the mountains and, um, he found an abandoned outhouse that had, that had, uh, been left alone for a number of years. And, He proceeded to severely abuse me and um, do a lot of pretty horrific things to me before he lifted me and put me 15 feet below ground in the pit of the outhouse toilet in the men's portion of the bathroom there. Um, And then he left, and he just left me there to die. And um, so I spent nearly four days, three and a half days, um, in the bottom of a toilet, begging and crying for my mom to come. I have a couple of memories. One memory was um, I had just gotten potty trained a couple of weeks before this, and I was so proud of myself for having been potty trained. And I I had to go to the bathroom when I was um, in the outhouse, and and I was worried that I was going to let my mom down, that she was going to be upset with me because I had worked so hard at mastering going to the bathroom. And uh, and and that was a that's a tough memory to hang on to. Another memory that I have was um, when they found me. So. Um, bird watchers on the fourth day happened to be driving by the outhouse that I was in, and. Um, as they were driving, the wife had to use the restroom, and they saw the outhouse that I was in, and the husband said, absolutely not. We're going to keep driving. We'll find another one. So they went about a mile up the road, and 
the wife told the husband, you need to turn around. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so like any good husband, he listened and, um, or any good spouse, I suppose. Right. And turned around and, uh, while they were using the facilities, they heard a cry and they started looking around and eventually they looked down and they said, and they saw me and they said, what are you doing here? And I told them that I lived there. And to me, that just speaks of the resiliency of children and how quickly we adapt to the, whatever environment we're in. And I'm a pretty adaptable human being trying to, uh, do the best that I can to survive in this wild world. Um, but nonetheless, it, it took a while for them to get me out of the toilet because it was such a small entry hole and point, and it was a, a really narrow hole. And uh, they found a volunteer firefighter up in uh, Evergreen, and he came down on a har- with a harness, and, and he looked at me, and he said, um, hold on. And I remember that. That was the other memory that I have. And um, so I was rushed to the hospital and reunited with my family. And our, our story, our story really just began there. You know, I mean, after going through something like that and and trying to go back to what would one would guess would be a normal um, existence was pretty hard. I mean, my parents did everything they possibly could to provide me with, air quotes, a normal life. And, um, you know, our life was far from normal. You can't go through something like that and just... um, get over it. I certainly had way more normal days than I did bad days, but the bad days were bad and the dark days were dark. And the unfortunate part about going through something like my story was that it impacted everyone, everyone. It it affected my entire family, my brother, my parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, our friends, our neighbors, my our, our everything, the entire community, the the country. I've I have letters from people abroad. Um, it affected everything, and um, everything that I've ever touched, it's just impacted. It's kind of like poison. I can't erase it. I, there are so many days where I wish I could undo that that yes and and say no. I'm very much of a yes woman. So to this day, I still struggle with saying no. And um, the irony of that is, is pretty interesting to me. But um, I learned at a very young age that I needed to shine because there were so many people around me who were hurting um, and who my kidnapping truly negatively impacted in such a traumatic and hard way. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was cause any more harm. I, I genuinely felt like I hurt all of them, every one of them. And I've carried that responsibility now for nearly 38 years. And, um, it's been a long journey of feeling responsible and not wanting anybody to suffer or hurt the way that I have and the way that I've seen. So um, I learned how to shine. I learned to smile and make everybody else happy and please them and um, make sure that people felt like they mattered 
because at the end of the day, every single human being simply just wants to matter. And I knew that if I was going to do, if I was going to go through something like that, I was going to do everything I possibly could to be the change and to help people and to give back because I just don't think that you can go through something like that and and just, you know, move on with life and not be some semblance of good for the world. I certainly wasn't interested in trying to cause more harm. So I've spent the, the majority of my life trying to do that. Every time I saw somebody suffering or, or in pain, even as a little girl in school, I, I saw it as my job to let them know that they were okay and that they belonged and that um, I could see them. And I really ultimately treated everybody the way that I wished people would have treated me. <laughs> and... Uh, what I also learned was that I was really alone in a lot of it. And my, my aloneness was how I protected myself. I um, learned how to be rigidly self-sufficient so that I could, A, never count on anybody to keep me safe but myself, and B, um, so that other people thought and knew that I was okay, because if I wasn't, that caused a lot more harm and guilt and shame and whatever, and I just didn't want to do that to anybody. I didn't, I didn't want to cause any more harm. So um, as I aged, you know, I, I knew probably around the age of eight that I wanted to become a therapist, and um, I wanted to help people heal. I wanted to make people feel like I said, like they mattered. Um, and, and I wanted to open a camp for people to attend where they could experience love and connection and like true understanding of one another. And, uh, so I just worked at doing that. And, uh, in high school, I, I started a lunch alone thing where I would go find people who were eating lunch alone in the hallways and, and become friends with them. And, um, because I knew how alone I felt, even though I was friends with everybody, I never really belonged anywhere because I wasn't going to let myself belong anywhere because every time I ever tried to belong or wanted somebody to help me belong, um, I experienced pretty, pretty significant abandonment. And I, I, I don't like that feeling. And even as a 39-year-old adult woman, I still um, have that feeling, and I still protect myself with those same strategies that I learned at the age of three in truly a fight-or-flight experience. And so um, after my kidnapping, I had gone to this place called the Kemp Center, and back then they provided services for people who had been abused, and 
um, there was a psychiatrist, his name was David Jones, and the director of the Kemp Center's name was Dr. Richard Krugman. And I went there for my forensic interview where um, David interviewed me with an earbud in his ear, being asked questions from the prosecutor and the defense attorney behind a two-way mirror while Dick Krugman videotaped these interviews. There were five of them. And I reenacted and replayed out um, my experience and my trauma, as well as was able to identify on a number of occasions my abductor, um, both in a lineup as well as um, some photographs that David brought into the room there at the Kemp Center. And um, and I, 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 David was really a huge inspiration of why I wanted to become a therapist. And Dr. Krugman and I stayed in contact um, throughout my whole life. And when I was a senior in high school, I was doing a term paper for an AP class I was in. And I wanted to do um, what's now called telehealth for people who lived in rural communities where they could get treatment like I had gotten from David and Dr. Krugman. And um, and so I was writing this paper. I had 18 questions, and I went and saw Dr. Krugman for the first time since I was I had been I was four the last time I saw him four or five. And um, I at the end of our of my interview of him, I said, you know, my mom and dad told me that you saved my life, and I just wanted to thank you. And um, I know that that meant the world to him. And so Dr. Krugman and I stayed in contact, and a few years ago, we decided that we were going to um, work together to start the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect, because we know that it's possible to end child abuse and neglect um, when we eliminate shame and bring voices to everybody that's experienced any sort of impact around child abuse and neglect, whether they themselves were abused or their parents were abused and they were raised by um, trauma survivors. Um, we decided we were going to do that. And so... This is what we are doing. It's endcan.org is our website, and we're uniting voices, and our mission is to end child abuse and neglect in our lifetime. So I want to thank all of you for joining us today. My name is Lori Poland. Thank you so much for listening to my story and how I got here. I am the executive director of the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect, and I appreciate it. Have a great day. I want to thank each of you again for joining us today and listening in. If you or someone you know is being abused, please call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. To learn more about ENDCAN, visit www.endcan.org or find us on all social media platforms. Join us in being louder than silence and being a part of the change. Please leave a comment, like our podcast, or share with your friends. The more the word spreads, the more of a collective impact we can have. If you have a question or you know someone who would want to be a guest on our podcast, please contact be the change at endcan.org. Thanks again and have a great day.